Fortnightly podcast about some great stealth slash stealthy video games and also some rubbish ones. On every episode, we go in-depth and all spoilery on one specific game and we discuss whether said game's stealth and its boom-boom are up to snuff. My name is Colin Mahern and joining me on this episode is a man that has beautiful hands. It's Adam Carroll. Good evening. And alongside him is a man who makes me say things like, can't you just die and leave me your hands? It's Josh Wise. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> it may seem out of left field, but I trust me, dear listener, it'll all become clear in about an hour and a half's time or whenever we talk about <laughs> the man who likes hands. Yeah. Before we talk about that, we need to get into the right headspace of when the game we're talking about today, when that came out. So, lads, don your party hats, grab your blowers, grab your little red American pie cup things as well, if you Mm. you so wish, because (laughs) tonight we're going to party like it's July July 3rd, 2013. (laughs) So... Yes, we need to figure out what was happening in the world on and around the the 3rd of July, 2013. And two days previously, on the 1st of July, Croatia joined the European Union, the most recent addition to the EU, 10 years ago. Imagine that. What a concept. Countries (laughs) joining the EU rather than leaving it. On the 3rd of July itself then, former Apprentice contestant, And more importantly, evil imbecile Katie Hopkins went on ITV's This Morning to give her now infamous interview about children's names. Oh, God, yeah. In said interview, she said she wouldn't want her children interacting with kids that had names like Chantel and Tyler because she deemed those names and other names like them as lower class. She also added that she didn't uh, like names based on geographical locations, at which point she was reminded that she had a daughter named India. (laughs) In music then, not an awful lot has changed at the top of the charts, uh, at least in, uh, in America. Because Blurred Lines by Robin oh. Thicke featuring T.I. and Pharrell still top of the charts. We've spoken about <laughs> that abomination previously because it was huge. In the UK, though, different number one. It was a song called I Love It by Akona Pop featuring Charlie XCX. Okay. Thank you very much, Adam, for your faint <laughs> singing in the background. I, I can't believe that song is a decade old. In movies... Animation was bringing in the money. I know what this is going to be. Is it Despicable Me too? Oh, he's got one of them right. Yes! Because topping the box office in the UK, yes, it was those bastard minions <laughs> with Despicable Me too. <laughs> while in America, the underrated, at least for my money... Monsters University? Number one was Monsters University. Yes! Well done, Josh. Yes, yes, yes. But, you know, fro- a, a type of monster... Is a vampire, is it not? Oh, very nice. Thank you very much. So let us 
to tell the listeners at home what, uh, you know, give them a bit of information on the game we're talking about today in a segment we like to call Back of the Box. Yes, the game we're talking about today does have vampires in it, uh, but it's not called Vampire. No, it's a different game entirely. Uh, the game we're talking about today is called Dark. Well, I don't know if I'm hitting that right. It's called Dark. Yeah. But not Dark or Dark or <laughs> Dark. It is all caps. Dark. All right? Yes. Get that in your heads. But some people may be wondering, what is Dark? They may be unfamiliar. Well, it is a third-person stealth action game where, indeed, as referenced, you play as a vampire, but not just any old vampire. It's an edgy, cool vampire with edgy, cool friends in an edgy, cool world. It released on the, yes, the 3rd of July in 2013 in America on PC, And then it came to Europe a few days later on PC and on Xbox 360 and just kind of, it was all around about a week, a week and a half period, maybe two weeks. uh, It came to both PC and 360. And this is the, usually the part of the show where we look at the back of the physical box and... This is great. Um, (laughs) We are looking at here the back of the European Xbox 360 case. And it is an absolute delight. Around the edges, there's five screenshots. uh, Just of various things. Uh, And the text on screen is like, Stealth action meets RPG. Explore multiple environments. Enter a world of blood and darkness. (laughs) Use powerful vampire powers and melee attacks. Thank God I get to use melee attacks. (laughs) And the final one here is fight fearsome opponents. But all of that pales in comparison to the main text here on the the, the centre of the back of the box. It says, you are a shadow in the dark. You are the ultimate hunter. Your name is Eric Bain. You are a vampire. (laughs) That's quality. I especially love... All of them big up what's going on and make it sound good, except for the one where it just says, your name is Eric Bain. Like, they say that <laughs> like that's a selling point. They're going, you're a vampire, you're a shadow in the dark, you're the ultimate hunter, you're Eric Bain. Which I don't know if Casey Hopkins would approve of Eric Bain <laughs> as a name, but I love it. I'm putting it out there. I love it. <laughs> Also, a little side note on the back of the box here as well. Did you see the URL? Because it's fantastic. www.getintothedark.com Did you try and go on it? I should have tried to go on the website. Let's do it live. Getintothedark.com No. What a heartbreaker. Well, you heard it here live, everyone. Don't try... No, it doesn't work. Oh, it takes me to a... No, that's not right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So now perhaps our computers are riddled with viruses. That's fun. (laughs) Um, So what I want to do, actually, and it was something that you brought up on the last episode, Josh, when we were discussing commandos behind enemy lines. I want to introduce a new element here that we'll talk about maybe sometimes where we look inside the manual. Oh, yes, I'm so glad you said that. I wrote that down as a note. Because it is an important aspect of some of these older games where they have a manual and on Steam they make it very easy, you know, they give you very easy access to the manual. And there are some absolute delights in the dark manual. 
for one, there is a recipe for a Bloody Mary. Oh, wow. In the Dark Manual. <laughs> and also they have a Bloody Mary and a Virgin Bloody Mary. You know, they have one with alcohol and without alcohol. And it's it's literally, it's just a recipe. There is no two shots of blood. Or it's, no, no, it's just a straight recipe for a Bloody Mary. Excellent. And there are bios on all the characters as well. But there's one thing that I wanted to read out, uh, at least a bit of a section for our listeners. And this in the manual is just introduction. It reads as follows. Dear buyer of dark. Brilliant. (laughs) (laughs) I don't get the sense I'm that dear to them. I'm sorry, but go on. (laughs) In the age of sparkling metrosexual vampires and movies in which the former terrors of the night have become magnets for screeching teens in the vein of male underwear models, we decided to recall the origins of the vampire myth with dark. In the minds of men, vampires in the minds of men... Vampires used to be superior beings of the darkness. Deadly beasts capable of snuffing out any life in their way within seconds, using nothing more than their hands and teeth. It is exactly this sense of being such a superior creature that the player should feel when playing dark. It's a bit... bit, Okay. Anyway, you get the gist. It's mad. And look, that's not the only time we're going to be referencing the sparkly vampires because they really want you to know this game has nothing to do with Twilight. They Mm. really, really want you to know that. So then, right, now back to regularly scheduled programming with a recap of the story of Dark, your spoilery recap. Because again, I'm sure there will be some people listening who have not played through Dark. I mean, you you'll de- you, you should for many reasons. You'll get a, a better enjoyment <laughs> of this podcast, perhaps. But yeah, if you haven't, here is the recap. So, you are Eric Bain, a 30-something-year-old man with a love for pleather hoodies and also baggy jeans. You have also, at the beginning of the game, just been turned into a vampire that is woken up in a nightclub by a glowing angel. <laughs> also, he has amnesia. Because of course he does. Mm. And I will say, remember that angel for when I mention it again in a minute. It is quite pivotal. <laughs> so the nightclub Eric Bain is in is called Sanctuary. And in it are Eric's new vampire pals that will try and ease him into the new lifestyle. We'll talk more about them in depth because they deserve their own little section. Most importantly, Eric Bain, and my God, his name never gets old. <laughs> uh, he meets the owner of the nightclub, Rose, and she's like his Roy Campbell to, to Eric's solid snake on missions. But before she becomes that, she does tell Eric that he's not a, quote, fully fledged vampire. In order to become a proper vampire, quote, you must drink your creator's blood, Rose says. Alternatively, and the game is quite ambiguous about this, you can drink the blood of an ancient vampire and that will also turn you into a fully-fledged bloodsucker. Mm. I, I don't know why, but no. whatever. If you don't eventually suck the neck of whoever sucked yours, you turn into a ghoul, which is the game's name for this kind of zombie-like vampire who has zero humanity in the... Not the sexy vampires, <laughs> you know, the manky ones. <laughs> so Rose sends Eric on two ancient vampire blood-sucking expeditions. They don't pan out. And after killing the second vampire... The angel, remember the angel, Mm -hmm. comes to Eric again and whispers the name Steiner. So Eric then makes his way to the strip club of Victor Steiner, who's apparently the oldest, most powerful vampire in the city. But Before Eric can drink his blood, a group of gun-wielding SWAT 
team-looking gentlemen breach the area. They gun down Steiner. And also, the SWAT team-looking group is commanded by the aforementioned Angel. <laughs> yeah, that's a thing that happens in this game. So Eric eventually makes his way back to Sanctuary, where he learns that Rose has been kidnapped. Oh, no. He tracks her location to a big corporate building called Cryogenic. And then things really get wild. So after being captured himself, Eric Bain learns that the SWAT team-looking lads are a group called M17. And they are a group of vampire hunters. A group of vampire hunters that Eric Bain was working for <gasps> pre-amnesia. Jesus Christ. So M17, led by a woman named Samantha Fields, turned Bain into a sort of undercover vampire to kill the vampires in the city. Also, and maybe I missed something here. Some, maybe you two can fill me in. But from what I can tell, Fields... Was the angel talking to Bane at various points in the game? Yeah, that's how I, yeah. Fast forward a little, Eric saves Rose and there's now like a romantic link in there out of nowhere and the most lifeless hug you've ever seen committed (laughs) to film. And then Bane has, he faces off in one final battle against Victor Steiner. In short, M17 experimented on him and he's now just this, experimented on Victor Steiner, I should say, not Eric Bane. And Steiner is now this, fucked up beast of a vampire after a boss battle that adam will tell you about later you're faced with a decision either chase after fields and m17 or escape the facility with rose and live happily ever after and that is the story of dark and what a story (laughs) the developer of this one is a developer called realm forge studios and trying to find out bits and pieces about realm forge is a tad more difficult than say oh i don't know a naughty dog or an inner sloth, <laughs> for example. But I do have somewhat of a bio for you. So, in 2008, it was announced that German publisher Calypso Media would be absorbing a developer by the name of Boxed Dreams to form Realmforge, which would uh, set up shop in Munich. Boxed Dreams' final game was a Monkey Island-like adventure game called Seville, which they released in 2009. So then, as Realmforge the studio's first game was called Mud TV, M-U-D TV, which came out in February 2010. Now, I don't know much about it, but it's described as a business management game where you're in charge of running a parody news station. But in the the following year, in 2011, their next game was called Dungeons. And I've seen this described as a pretty average dungeon keeper-like strategy game. They did make two sequels, which are meant to be pretty good, though. So, you know, but that was later on, obviously, not before the release of the first game in the Eric Bain franchise. (laughs) Um, I I have been able to glean some things from interviews about the development of Dark. So after Dungeons, it did become apparent that at the studio, they had a lot of Thief and a lot of Hitman fans on the team. So they wanted to make a game that was first and foremost a stealth game. But I actually have a clip that I'll play later on where it sort of goes into it a little bit more. And then they made Dark. (laughs) And that's all I have, really. There just isn't an awful lot on the internet about Realmforge. After Dark, they did go on to make Starbase Startopia. And they were one of two developers that worked on Tropico 6. But up until this point... That is the story of Realmforge Studios. The publisher then, I've already mentioned, Calypso Media. They were founded in August 2006 in Germany, expanding to set up American and UK offices in the following three years. 
And importantly, at the same time they founded Realmforge, they also acquired the rights to the management series, the previously mentioned management series, Tropico. Not Monaco, Josh. Tropico. (laughs) And they have been publishing games in the series since Tropico 3 in 2009. So that's kind of their crown jewel, you know. Up until the launch of Dark, they were snapping up a couple of UK and Germany-based developers. They published a handful of games you may know, like the 2012 shoot 'em up Cinemora, but specifically on PC. On Xbox, they published Telltale's Jurassic Park game from the same year. Oh, yeah. That's kind of it. I mean, one little note, one little cheeky note to slip under the door. In 2018, they did grab a couple of games from the studio we spoke about on the last episode of Stealth Boom Boom. Pyro Studios. So now they do own the Commando series. Ah. But that didn't happen before Dark came out. So a story for another time, perhaps. Sales-wise, very difficult. I I don't know what to tell you. (laughs) The closest I've come to a figure is that on Realmforce Studios' website, they say this, quote, Our games are played by more than 1.5 million gamers on Steam alone. Some of those people might be dark players. The critical reception of this one, on PC, it has a 41. And on Xbox 360, it has a Metacritic score of 38. And that is your dark back of the box. So we are going to take a quick little break. And the people at home can listen to a portion of the Dark official trailer. And then we will be back after that to talk about the marketing and press coverage of this very game. It all began in darkness. I awoke to a world of pain. Eric. Eric Bain. The name shot through my head like a bullet. It was my name. All right, then, let us talk about some of the marketing and press coverage around Dark. Dark! I never know how to pronounce (laughs) it. You have to shout. You have to shout. (laughs) So firstly, yes, looking at some of the pre-launch marketing, let us discuss what the listener just heard, the Dark official trailer, which was posted beautifully on Valentine's Day 2013. Oh, sweet. And it can all be summed up (laughs) with that quote from Eric himself. (laughs) It all began in darkness. I awoke to a world of pain. Eric. Eric Bain. The name shot through my head like a bullet. It was my name. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't really clock that that rhymes like a sort of shit song. It's got a nice little sort of rhyme cadence to it. But yeah, what a line. I really enjoy this trailer because everything about it screams... Not 2013. Everything about it screams 2003. Yeah. It is just so cool. And like, you know, it's, it's a very straightforward trailer with gameplay and text splashing up occasionally that says things like, stalk your prey under the cover of night. One of my favourite quotes is, it's a, it's a quote that comes up from like GamerCast and it just says, Dark looks to make the stealth genre cool again. When was it not cool? Like, what, what, when, when was that decided? <laughs> yeah. One thing I should mention is that the listener hasn't heard the full trailer. They haven't heard the song that plays after the bit that you heard. And the reason is 
that the song deserves its own time to breathe because it's in the game itself. So look forward to that discussion later on the podcast. You're going to hear it in clips throughout anyway because it's just this omnipresent thing. (laughs) A few other trailers they put out in the lead up to the game coming out. There was a teaser trailer in May 2012, which actually does feature in the game itself as well. But it makes it look like an FPS, <laughs> weirdly. Yeah. They, they did another few, but it was, you know, kind of all based off of that official trailer. There wasn't much of a difference. But one thing I did want to highlight, posted on the 3rd of July, 2013, so only like just before the game came out, was a trailer titled Dark Trailer 3D Features. This game, and, uh, you know, as I said off the top, it's a, a third person stealth action game. This game had Oculus Rift support and 3D support because you had the influx of 3D televisions. But even at the end of the trailer, the game, they say that it also supports the shitty old red and blue 3D (laughs) glasses that you get on the cover of a magazine. That is mind blowing. I didn't know they were still a thing, the red and blue. No one's got the red and blue ones, surely. Now, I looked around while we were playing this um, I have some 3D glasses at home. It's the new 3D, you know, the polarized 3D where they're just like sunglasses. And I don't think the red and I don't think it's the same as the red and blue ones, if you know what I mean. I wish I could have tested that. I really do. But there you go. Right. Let's look at some pre-launch press coverage, specifically some interviews on uh, the 4th of February 2013, speaking with Game Informer in an article titled Dark's lead artist talks stealth and vampires. Yes, the lead artist of Dark, Victor Linky, was asked why the team went for a cel-shaded look. Because, yes, if you haven't seen it, it does have this kind of borderlandsy, telltale-y, cel-shaded style to it. So Linky said, quote... We actually had several reasons. Uh, the first and most obvious uh, is that we're not a, stu- a huge studio uh, with 100 people working for us. So we really needed to make the most of our resources. Um, you can often get very good results with a good graphic style instead of just your technical prowess. If you don't have the resources to make crisis-like graphics, then it's often a good way to go for a style-based game. Uh, the other reason we did this was because since we have a vampire game, we were very much inspired by graphic novels like 30 Days of Night. So we thought it was a really good fit for the game. Do either of you have any history with 30 Days of Night? I've Just seen the, the film. Yeah, yeah with uh, Josh Hartnett. Yeah. I, I have actually laid eyes on the graphic novel, but it was a long time ago. I don't actually think the graphic novel looked like that, though. That's, that's, that's the funny thing about it. It's a bit, yeah, similar to... 13 where the game actually doesn't look like the graphic novel 13 does but um yeah uh, um, yeah i i mean i think it's one of those ones where it's like i think it's mainly the first thing he said <laughs> and then and then he's going no nah, but it's also the style as well <laughs> like, okay buddy <laughs> victor linky also on the you know he, he's doing the rounds he spoke with a gaming bolt for an article titled Dark Interview, Gameplay Details, Reminiscing About Bloodlines and Why Twilight is Officially Old Hat, uh, (laughs) Linky was asked if Dark accommodates different play styles. And he said, quote, Players have several vampire skills at their disposal that cater to different play styles. Mostly we encourage players to take a stealth approach, but there are certain powers you can use to try a more aggressive approach. 
The levels are also quite huge and often provide different possibilities to reach your objectives. Interesting. Uh, a couple of weeks ago we, on the Assassin's Creed episode, we had Patrice Desolet making Assassin's Creed sound a bit like an immersive sim. We have a little bit of that here as well, but, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it more in depth later on. Because right now, I want to play a clip for the lads and all of you listening as well, of course. So this is, once again, Victor Linky speaking with Game Reactor. This was in a YouTube video uh, Game Reactor posted on the 13th of March, 2013. And in this, you're going to hear Linky answering a question about whether Dark is comparable to Thief and just why they made a stealth game. Take a listen to this. Yeah, uh, Thief was very much an inspiration for us in, uh, when we did the concept for Dark. Um, we just looked at the recent development of other stealth games like Splinter Cell and we thought that they have become very much action shooters and we tried with Dark to get back to the roots, to the old uh, stealth gameplay from the old uh, Thief game, the old uh, Splinter Cells and like we really encouraged the player to play the game as a, in a stealth approach. So we all, uh, the first thing we did, we don't allow the players to uh, get weapons in the game. So this is really like like the, the basic idea, just sneak by the guards and don't try to uh, attack them. So use all your skills you have to play it as a stealth game. So basically just outlining, you know, a couple of months before the game comes out, outlining what you do in the game and how it is stealth first and foremost. I know we're going to get to it, but I just want to say from that clip, right, there really is no escaping that song is done. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're going to hear that a lot. I have another clip here for you, posted on the 15th of March, 2013. This is from Fandom Games. They were called Curse Entertainment at the time when this interview was done. A video on their YouTube channel, just Dark Interview with PR Head. So this is a slightly different angle. This is Ted Brockwood, who is the head of PR at Clipso Media. And, you know, we've mentioned this a few times now already, but... This is uh, just some audio for the listeners to hear how Calypso Media, Realm Forge, everyone involved with this game wanted to tell you that Eric Bain is not a rubbish vampire like Twilight and is actually brilliant like Blade. Take a listen to this. Dark is cool because, one, we don't have sparkly vampires. It's a stealth action light RPG where you play a vampire, but the cool thing is, is this is not an Edward Cullen. This is a more Blade-style vampire. You're going in to figure out what this evil conspiracy is that's going on, and you are a killing machine. Uh, you will hear the team reference Blade quite a bit. They like that sort of semi-futuristic world, um, where it's still a little bit grungy, a little bit industrial, and also the characters are, pardon the pun, darker. It's definitely, he's not your friendly hero. He's not your neighborhood good guy. His big thing is, why was I turned into a vampire? And until I find out why I'm going to kill everything that's in my way. You goddamn right. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's so funny because obviously the phenomenon of, of Twilight, because what, the Twilight movie, like, I don't know when the books were, but did the movie come out in like 2008 or something? And obviously, yeah. it, was the, it was so big. That series and everything was so, so big. And like, it, it's almost like they just can't, they, it's like, it just, they, they have to kind of go, no, do you know what, like that Twilight has ruined all coolness of vampires now, but Blade was always unreal. Like, it's so, it's, it's childish sounding. It just sounds pathetic. It's, it's so, it's so tryhard. Yeah. 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 So it's, for, for context, 
by the time this game comes out, the Twilight series, well, the books are well wrapped up. The films have just wrapped up. So the fifth and final Twilight film came out in November 2012, which is the Twilight Saga Breaking Dawn Part 2. And it was the sixth highest grossing film of 2012 and the highest grossing film of the Twilight series. So to be fair, like when Twilight finishes, I guess it's at its height, you know, in terms Mm. of awareness and popularity to an extent, I suppose, if we're just talking pure going on cinema ticket sales. But yeah, the putting down of of Twilight, Mm. like chill out, it's fine. You know, it's fine. To say something like, oh, this isn't a sparkly vampire. This is a blade vampire. You didn't make Eric Bain like Blade either. <laughs> Blade is still way cooler than Eric Bain. And they did they did sort of nick a few things from Blade as, as well. Like, oh, the nightclub scene is totally that. Yeah, the nightclub is crazy. Oh, and also the ghouls are just the reavers from Blade 2. And like, also Eric's undergarment. Eric wears a, uh, what looks like body armor, but definitely has the sort of straps that you'd have on a backpack. Kind of looks a little bit like, like Blade's armor but that's actual armor when blade wears it i don't know what eric's rocking it's just a hoodie <laughs> with just a black garment underneath with sort of buckles and possibly as it's it's weird uh, so yeah that is a look at the marketing and press coverage of dark so we are going to take a quick little break and then we are going to give you our opinions on the game itself so yeah back in just a tick All right, then. This is our review proper of Dark. This is where we tell you about what's in the game and what we think of it. We split this up into sections. We talk first about the stealth. Then we talk about the boom boom, which is the other gameplay aspects of it. Then we talk about the most noteworthy mission level or area of the game. Then we tell you what we thought of the story. And then we just wrap things up in a little miscellaneous section at the end. But before any of that, I want to know your knowledge of Dark before you played it for this very podcast. Adam, Eric Bain posters on the wall. Big fan, obviously. Cullum, I think I think two weeks before actually like playing this game, I think I said to you after one other episode that we did, I went, Cullum, what is Dark? <laughs> and we had to I had to do a little bit of research and I looked and I went, okay. And we read the synopsis there and then and I was like, okay, that sounds a bit fun, I guess. And <laughs> up to that point, knew nothing. Josh Wise, what about you? Were you, I'm looking for my Eric Bain fan as a teenager. Is that I you? I wish I could say that. No, I, I can and should say on the front of the box, and I'm a big fan of this in games. Number one, the guy on the box just isn't the Eric Bain that's in the game. Brilliant. I love it when that happens. Number two, they definitely just robbed Channing Tatum's face for the box. I don't know if you guys have actually like looked at properly at his face. They just stole a picture of Channing Tatum. I love that. Oh my God. It's the guy from Step Up. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't notice that. These guys, they, they stole Channing Tatum's face. But I'm, listen, I'm sure Channing is very happy about that. But, but, you know, he was part of Dark. He made stealth games cool again, you know? Uh, yeah. <laughs> that is an ugly front cover, by the way. Channing Tatum to one side, but th- just the colour scheme is... Ugh. Uh, I remember that uh, from the Game Station in Bedford. Rest in peace to Game Station. But I remember seeing 
dark on Xbox 360. It was just one of those classic things where your eyes just moved over it and you never gave it a second thought. But for some reason, it's, it, it, it is in my brain. That and uh, Brink, the game Brink, for some reason, nice. the front yeah, yeah. cover just seared into my memory from that time. But yeah. I never dipped into dark, uh, and shame on me. Colin, I'm guessing you have an Eric Bain tattoo. <laughs> and my, it covers my entire back. Eric. You have Eric Bain's face tattooed to your face. I have a very similar story to Josh. I have a, a vivid memory of seeing it in shop, seeing the cover, but that's it. <laughs> I, nothing else. I, I don't know why, because as you say, Josh, it's not... It doesn't really stand out per se, but there is something kind of, I don't know, endearing about it because it felt passe in 2013. Yeah. Uh, but it is this like cool, edgy, <laughs> good looking Channing Tatum guy on the cover. <laughs> Never played it. Didn't know much about it. Now, there may be some people who haven't played Dark. So let me give you a little brief synopsis as to what this game actually is. So... Dark is six chapters of third-person stealth action, where indeed, yes, you play as a vampire that has supernatural abilities. As will be discussed in a moment, your goal in each level is to typically avoid being spotted by enemies whilst often travelling from A to B. You, of course, can use your supernatural abilities on enemies, but each use costs one blood unit. Uh, In order to replenish your blood units, You must suck the blood of enemies rather than knock them out, which is the alternative way to kill them. Blood units are just kind of your ability points, effectively. We're going to discuss all of this in about 10 seconds. (laughs) So look forward to that. Uh, So yeah, this then is the part of the show where we're going to talk about the stealth, firstly, of Dark. And what, what I've written down in the doc here is you enter a room You sneak around that room, killing lads while you head to the waypoint. Then you find yourself in another room. You sneak around that room. You kill more lads while heading to the next waypoint. And it's that for around six to eight (laughs) hours-ish. It's it's not a terribly long game. That's it. That that is it. The, The stealth is straightforward and easy to explain too. You just avoid the guard's line of sight and you're golden. Really? There are a few other things thrown into the mix that I want to go more in depth on in a minute, like some electronic devices that you need to watch out for. But it can mostly be boiled down to avoid the guards. Mm. Why does a game called Dark not involve some thief-like shadows that you can hide in? I have no idea. Did I think shadows would play a role when I booted it up? Of course I did. Because the game is called Dark. <laughs> oh, well, you know, you see a sort of Ubisoft like detection circle that pops up on screen when a guard begins to see you. If it turns red, then you're dead, basically. Mm-hmm. While super simplistic. Uh, and let me just say this now that pretty boring when all is said and done as the enemy variation is fairly shod- shoddy. I do want to at least say one thing, and that's good job, Realm Forge for rewarding stealth. Yeah. Because not every stealth slash stealthy game we talk about on here is going to do this. And it gets on my wick. Yeah. So I just want to give a little tip of the cap to the developer for that, right? Because it's as simple as this. In Dark, 
every guard you kill will grant you XP. Obviously, the more XP you have, the more skill points you get, the more powerful you can make your vampire via the skill tree. But if you kill a suspicious slash alerted guard, you get 20 XP, I think it is. While if you kill an unaware guard, you get 80 XP. And if you get through an uh, area without triggering an alarm whatsoever, you get a whopping 1000 XP. Like, it just, when a stealth slash stealthy video game doesn't incentivize sneaking about the place, I don't know, it feels like, what are we even doing here? You know, yeah, yeah. I could argue that I'm a vampire. <laughs> so in theory, I should be able to annihilate everyone around me fairly handily. And I know that doesn't account for what's happening in the story because you're a new vampire, bloody bloody bloody. Mm. But if you're going to go to the trouble of making your vampire a pretty weak vampire, then by God, I should be rewarded for being the best quiet vampire ever. And in fairness, in dark, I am. Fair play. Good job. And I know the sort of simplicity in the game's stealth was something that resonated, at least, I want to say, somewhat with you, Josh. <laughs> yeah, it did, it did. It did. Because games fuck up the simple stuff way more than you think. And, they, and often they fuck it up with complication, needless complication. And there is a lot to be said for line of sight stealth where the rules are pretty bloody apparent and it might be a little bit unromantic but it fucking well works properly now there are things where they that you know there are other little bits as you, you kind of mentioned like you know with this with the sound and stuff like that but by and large i'd say like 90 percent of your time with dark is just about looking at guard patterns looking where the cover is plotting your moment to strike and then just executing, just doing it. And like, that feels rare to me. So often nowadays it's like, yeah, there's it's line of sight, but it's also just, you know, so many other things as well. All these kind of, kind of systems compile on. And also like, like when we played Ghost of a Tale, like that had line of sight, but it wasn't, it, it always felt a little bit sort of loose and a little bit messy. I don't know. It's really rigid and nailed down in dark. Little bit unsexy. In fact, it's profoundly unsexy. But it, it works. There's no ambiguity. It's not, like, oh, am I, am I slipping out of cover? Can they see me? You've got the ring that indicates where, you know, what's going on. You know it's the waist high thing. You just watch the guard walk right. You know he's going to walk left. Make your move. And it still works. And that's, that's all I'm saying. It still works. The aspect of, of the game rewarding you for the stealthy approach was something that you picked up on as well, but kind of in relation to the powers as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I, and I know you'll sort of touch on the other half of this point because it's often with the powers, it's about what order you unlock them in. But one of the things that I found was you get by far the most XP for complete avoidance. But the, then, and that's fine because whenever we have games like this, I always instinctively go for complete avoidance. But you then don't have an awful lot to spend that XP on. There are only so many things, because then it's like, well, why am I getting the shadow grip ability where I can kill people from distance if I'm doing it 100%, you know, stealthily? I just, I won't kill people. I just avoid them. And there's only like, I don't know, like five things. There's like an ability that makes you sort of a little bit invisible, a, a thing that distracts them, 
a thing that makes your movement speed a little bit quicker and a little bit quieter. And that, I think that's about it, you know, in terms of your sort of passive, but the rest of it, it does feel like they kind of wanted to go, we, we sort of want you to, to kill a lot of people, really. Just a little slight contradiction in their, in their design there. In our doc here, Adam, you've written that Derek wants you to play stealth, but is it the most fun way to play? Is, do you mean kind of to what Josh is saying Pr- there? Pretty much, yeah, because like when you start off the game, it's understandable that you're going to be immediately probably crouching in an area and l- learning the lay of the land or whatever, but it becomes incredibly stale so quickly when you realise I'm still crouching for the most part and you kind of would I feel like as a player you kind of just forget that you actually are a vampire or you've this purpose of what you're trying to do and when you when you're there and you're as you said like you get more points for um stealth kills and stuff and then when you eventually start time with the abilities I was like yeah that's definitely kind of what I want to do but I don't think I should because it seems to make a shit of everything when I start doing those abil- using those abilities. So like <laughs> any sort of stealth mode or whatever that I was going for, I was like, well, I'm just going to do the same thing over and over again. Like Colin, you say like, you sneak into a room, you kill lads, watch the next door, do the same thing again. And that's that shows very quickly that this is what this game is. Now, one thing I want to say as well about the like um, the AI in general, when you're looking at the, the, the lads walking around and stuff, I I'm I don't know about you, but I found them wildly like like unpredictable. Like I just thought like at times there was enemies like just walking in patterns that I was like, I can't figure out where <laughs> this guy is going or what he's doing. So my stealth approach was always kind of like scatty and mm. like they they immediately completely overrun you with enemies and they are so weak at the start as well so I'm just like I'm not going to use any sort of ability yet I'm going to just try and get through this area as smoothly as I can and get get go through undetected and stuff like that I will say like and that, like coming off the end of the game bar probably the last maybe hour of the game this game truly wants you to just be constantly crouching behind something and just getting getting smoothly through it as much again which is fine which is fine but as you were saying josh it makes a ton of the powers just irrelevant yes yeah no it, it does um there are parts of the game as well where it seemed to me anyway that the developers were just sort of like yeah if you if you've been doing it really stealthily up to this point you're sort of fucked like there are moments in the Geoforge thing, and we'll, and we'll sort of get to that a little bit later, but, like, there were key moments where I was like, oh, well, I've put my powers into stuff. This is definitely a bit where you would just want me to kill four guys, and, like, yeah. I can do that, but that's really tough for me, and it mightn't be tough for Cullum and Adam. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> to clarify, when the two of you say stealth, you mean... Like not not engage with the enemy. Whatsoever. Avoidance, yeah, proper. Like, yeah. Because again, there is, in fairness, you know, that's why there are like stealthy killing options, and you know, you can hide bodies and it's etc. etc. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's just that you get the the most XP from from not killing anyone. You know, so it does sort of feel like 
the ultimate reward is avoidance. But then there are just ways that certain levels are designed yeah. where you just go, oh, well, if I need to do this, there are just four guys there and they never move. So obviously I just have to kill these guys. Like it's, it's funny. It's like it just every now and then the designers are like, yeah, sorry about that. You kind of have to kill these guys. <laughs> I kind of want to just say it there as well. Kind of, we just touched upon it briefly. Not, I don't think any of us have it in our notes, but um, I think this game might possibly have the most awkward hiding of a body ever. <laughs> like what is going on? It goes into this like first person view and you're just awkwardly dragging the body with no real context of where you have the body hidden do you know what I mean like you're kind of like am I behind the wall and then you kind of let go and you're like his two fucking legs are just hanging out you know and you're just like mm. Jesus Christ and kind of led me to go like if I kill some person I'm, I'm just going to leave him do you know what I mean it's worth pointing out like once you kill somebody you can drag their bodies but you can't hide them. Yeah. There are no lockers, no chests, no containers of any kind. You just drag them along the floor from one place to another. <laughs> Talking about killing, one of my favourite ways to kill is by sucking necks. <laughs> I, I actually really like this system. I'm with you on that. Like I was saying with rewarding my sneakiness, the game does also reward this very specific aspect of offensive, aggressive play, I suppose. So in Dark, as already said, you have a skill tree wherein you can unlock these vampiric powers using uh, the skill points that you accrue. Each use then of a vampire power equals one blood unit. And these blood units are acquired by feeding on enemies. So just going up to them, sucking the bastards dry. Cool. There are a few ways to kill enemies. Some of the more bombastic ways we'll talk about in the boom boom section. But right now, just talking about the classic vampire kill. So what you do is you make sure there's no one else around because they can not only see you, but they can also hear you slurping away on someone's neck like a fucking can of Fanta. But I know you want to talk about that, Adam. Um, but yeah, you, you check no one's around. Then you sneak up to an enemy, hold down the attack button until you've sucked every last drop and then they're dead and that equals then one blood unit and tying your abilities to these blood units I think it really does work mm. because there, there, there are definitely areas where yeah you do need your powers to get through but that also then means you have to find opportunities to engage and to kill and to drink the blood mm. and that can be a risk sometimes you know there are some areas of dark that are just overrun by enemies. Mm. But the reward may be that your passage through an area then is easier because you're able to use certain powers. It really, really worked for me. Yeah. Like, thumbs up. I thought the same as well. Like, it, it offers a level of tension that was unexpected because it does that whole thing of, like, it, it lasts for maybe, I don't know, three seconds, three, four seconds or something like that. But, like, the fact that you see this bar going up as you're doing it and you have this risk of like, oh, you'll just get this done now so I can get the point and not get caught. And then like, I think you can also, as you go on throughout the game, you get points or skill points, whatever, that you can upgrade that to be faster or maybe quieter when yes. you're doing it. And uh, yeah, I'm with you, Colin. It, it, was, it was a thing where like, unfortunately, a lot of the level design in general made that part of the gameplay kind of almost like too risky to do because there was just too many people around or it was too out in the open but there were some moments where it was like 
oh, I feel like I can do this here. And when you do it, it does feel very rewarding. And just like, as I said, that that risk is, is a lot of fun in the game. And I, I think at that point, I was kind of like, all right, this is, I'm starting to feel like a bit of a vampire. Okay, cool. <laughs> there's there's certain aspects as well that I don't understand with, with the sound. I know this sounds more of a boom, boom thing, but there is like, as you were saying, Colm, you know, you, you, the enemies can hear you. That's the risk if you're sucking some blood. Mm. However, there is a thing that Eric does, and it is a standard old punch. But this punch is so vicious. <laughs> and I found myself using this punch quite a lot when I was in a bit of a pickle. But I mean, like, there is a serious wind up and a serious delivery of a slap and the bang off the slap is insane. <laughs> but no enemy around you hears this happen. There's something weirdly satisfying about the weight of the punch <laughs> as well. It's yeah. very slow. It's very annoying because there are times where, say, I was in a bit of a situation. Enemies are coming at me. There's bullets being shot at me. I might have triggered a punch. And like, I mean, it's a two second situation, but I'm just getting paced with bullets, but I'm still <laughs> going to deliver that punch. I feel like when the game is is uh, once again showing you that they want you to stay quiet, be, be chill, no, be a lurk in the shadows, and you're like bang to every fellow you can see. It's 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 pretty humorous because we're talking about the guards and you know going up and you know you're talking about maybe you being attacked, but you're still going to get a couple of couple of punches thrown. I wanted to talk about how and look, I feel like I mentioned this a lot, but. A game with stealth should also allow you to recover. Well, not every game, gunpoint, you know. So hold on, let me rephrase it, right? If a game presents the scenario where you can recover your hidden status, then it should play well enough to bloody well allow you to recover your hidden status. And before I begin, I'll say that in Dark, you can sometimes, and I stress that, sometimes become a a sneaky incognito vampire Mm -hmm. once again after being spotted by a guard. But from at least my experience, that was usually because I looked out by being in a a little nook in the level where the guards wouldn't go near. Uh, I mean, that's probably its own problem. But anyway, with that (laughs) out of the way, in dark, if a guard sees you or the corpse of someone you've killed, they'll go into alert mode. Just, you know, the Metal Gear Solid. Think Metal Gear Solid. In the bottom right-hand corner, you'll see a bar that says the word hostile. And if that bar empties after what seems like a long time. A very long time. A very long time. (laughs) The guards will reset and then they'll go back to their positions, patrols, whatever. And as already mentioned, uh, that was more of a rarity for me unless I found some exploit Mm. by accident. Couple of things here, right? Number one. Let's say you stealthily kill four people in an area. Random number four, right? Then you're seen by a guard. If you find a hiding spot and you try to let that hostile meter run down and to have everything return to a cam phase, the meter will go back up to the top each time a corpse is discovered. And we've already gone through the fact that you can't hide bodies. You can just drag them along the floor. So. In this scenario, that meter could go all the way back up to the top four times. Now, imagine killing six, seven, eight guards. 
then being seen and trying to rescue the situation after that. It is absolute bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> like, if that meter flowed to zero, it may be an okay system. Not even flow, you know, kind of just went down at a steady pace. But either way, it doesn't flow. It doesn't go down at a steady pace. It fucking trickles mm-hmm. to zero. So, like, the chances are you're going to be in that hostile phase until you either kill the remaining guards or you're killed yourself. And talking about the, the guards, right? Killing guards while they're on high alert, it is doable, as you said, Adam. Like, especially one-on-one. Yeah. Because uh, killing a guard, it can be done by just simply running up to them, pressing the one button on your keyboard or controller. Uh, you can use your vampire powers, obviously, but... If you just want to run up to them and deck them, you can. Yeah, great sound, as you said, marvellous slap. Um, they are able to block attacks, but generally speaking, if you persist, you'll come out the victor. But, another, another but here, if there is more than one guard, you are toast. <laughs> like- <laughs> Genuinely. It doesn't even have to be more than two. No. If there's a duo of goons there with their automatic machine, the rifles, Mm. right? And they're within close proximity. They will absolutely obliterate you. Every (laughs) single enemy in this game were top of their class at shooting school. It's unreal. It is an absolute onslaught to the point, to the point that when you have pretty much, if you just have four to five enemies, right? They all start shooting at you, right? There is, it's so intense the noise that happens, it doesn't even sound like bullets anymore. It just sounds like a fucking drill, like <laughs> just going off because it's it's mental how much they hit you and how quickly you die. And the screen starts collapsing into this red thing. And you're just like, this is this is stressful. And you don't ever really get an opportunity to get out of it. You cannot mm-hmm. like even later on in the game, no matter how much skill points you've used and upgraded yourself, you are always, as you say, call them toast. Like you can't just like zip off and do this whole Batman thing and good luck. I'm out of here. No chance. There is one, there is one ability that I use quite often. And even when I used it, I still could not escape the bullets. The only reason I would use it, and this is the, the, the vampiric speed one where, oh, yeah. where basically you just run really fast for like a, <laughs> Four or five seconds. I upgraded the absolute shit out of that skill because I was like, okay, these situations are happening to me all the time. I get caught, loads of bullets coming at me, I'm losing my mind. But I felt if I had this thing, this would be the best thing. This is the best ability to have because I let activate it and just run away as quickly as possible. But when it happens, they still get you with every bullet. And it's devastating it is absolutely devastating and it brings the 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 difficulty of the game just so far because like i played this game on normal no there's also a weird thing that the game does where when you play it on normal mode you you get two manual saves to use if you play the game on easy mode you've infinite saves i liked the idea of it but i think in practice uh, they fumble they fumble a little bit yeah as you said when you reach a checkpoint, the game gives you two manual saves. Once you use them, they're gone. Until you reach the next checkpoint. And then the game gives you a further two saves. 
And it's like that throughout the game. It stops saves coming, I suppose. You know, I, I don't think it's a terrible idea. I think, I think it's quite interesting. But the thing is, right, I, and I, I'll, I'll give you an example. On the third chapter, you find yourself in a strip club of uh, Mr. Victor Steiner, who turns out to be the final boss of the game. This strip club, delightfully named the Titty Twister, sounds painful rather than sexy in my eyes, but whatever you're into, (laughs) no king shame, obviously. And in this section, you start on the first floor in the southeast corner, and you have to go downstairs through a door in the northwest corner go up another flight of stairs, interact with a computer to open a set of locked doors. Then you have to travel back almost where you began, but on the ground floor. And you must do all of this while there are loads of guards around. And also a new enemy is introduced here post-computer interaction. And all of that is done on two saves. Then you checkpoint, and then this next section is a single room in a warehouse with far fewer guards and obstacles, and that is also two saves. Mm. And that's what I mean when I say I like the idea, but not the execution. Mm. Mm. Because some much larger, tougher areas give you the same amount of saves as sections that are a piece of piss. Mm. It's, It's just, it's so poorly implemented. But going through the titty twister, I did at least, you know, there, there were swings and roundabouts. Like, I did get to hear this over and over. Yeah, baby. And that was, that was something, <laughs> you know? That was something. But yeah, no, you're right. That save system was, um, that sort of thing can be done well. And in the old Hitman games, that's what they did. They gave you a finite number and it was adjustable by difficulty for each level. Because with Hitman, I think it was... One, two, and contracts. It was paced a lot better than it is here. So it was, a f- and you and you ne- and you it, you didn't have to worry about. Oh, is it? Are my saves going to be refreshed? Because that's the other thing in dark. When you get to certain predetermined points, it says saving available, and it, it saves you there and gives you your two saves back for the next area. But with the old Hitman games, they sort of did it a little better because it was like, well, you've got like four saves, but you know that there is no. Those those four saves are for this whole mission, so it's all up to you. So with mm-hmm. that, had a kind of risk reward thing. But I agree with you, Cullum. Here, just sort of comes across as a little bit chaotic. You think, well, I never know. I never feel safe saving because I think, oh, did I just fuck it by saving there? <laughs> yes, similar enough to even like using like uh, the ink ribbons for Resident yeah. Evil back in the day. Yeah, yeah, things like that where you you kind of go, will I do it here because I can sort out this in dark? It just always felt like. I would use this save right now because I never want to play that section ever again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I got past it just there. So that's where I'm going to use it. Yeah. One of the things that helps, at least, is, uh, and I think you've already made reference to this, Josh, like there aren't actually that many powers that are, you know, massively stealthy. A lot of them are quite aggressive and killy yeah. <laughs> uh, but one of the more stealthy powers is the obscure ability which I know was something you used quite a lot didn't I you? did I did it was the first thing I saw on there so the first I just saw that thing called obscure which basically means that Eric is he's not completely invisible to the naked eye but he is obscured so he's kind of like a blur and it provided you don't get ridiculously close to an enemy, like two feet from his face, and like stay in his vision range. And then, if, but even then, it'll take a few seconds for him to see you. You can kind of just 
and I in the I just walked through the early uh, missions of Dark with Obscure because I, I I unlocked Obscure and then immediately just increased the duration that it's active for and there's a, you can you can increase the duration twice and I think in, increase the potency of it or something just fully maxed it out immediately I just thought oh this will be one of those things that breaks the game wide open and it kind of did until it got to those bits I tell you about where it's like yeah we sort of need you to just kill some people on this bit but it really did um make the game very very easy uh early on totally yeah and we'll talk about more of the powers in the boom boom section but one final stealthy thing I did want to mention. A- again, there's something that I, I, I enjoyed to an extent is that, so obviously, right, in, in Dark, when you're sneaking around big corporate buildings with large windows and also strip clubs as well. Yeah, baby. <laughs> you know, you're, you're going to come up against some obstacles that aren't actual enemies, right? But... I genuinely didn't expect anything more than surveillance cameras. Yeah. Like, of course, they're there. And actually, I don't, act- I, I don't think the surveillance cameras are great because it can be difficult sometimes to see the exact area mm. that a camera is looking at. They're, they're, it's just communicated very weirdly in, in the game, kind of very wishy-washy. So I, I wasn't overly keen on them, but I do genuinely like the other electronic devices that are in the game. So, like, some are there to sniff Bane out while others just kind of make sense in the world. Like, uh, going off of that, the first level, you're in a museum. And in the museum, you have exhibits that will light up and start playing audio explaining what the um, attraction is uh, when you walk past them. Now, of course, it doesn't actually make sense. Like, uh, on an average Sunday afternoon, motion sensors in the Natural History Museum. It'd be fucking mayhem. It'd be mayhem in there. (laughs) It'd be resetting every 10 seconds. (laughs) Yeah, it's ludicrous. However, like, during this mission, I did quite like having to, you know, watch my step, not only trying to avoid the eyeline Mm. of of baddies, but also just trying to avoid these talkative glass cases. Um, Then in the second mission, which takes place in this high-rise building... Uh, that has these artificial parks. I'll talk about it in a minute anyway. But in this place, there are information kiosks that are, again, attached with motion sensors. So if you walk past one, a pre-recorded message is going to start coming out of these things. And, you know, you don't want that when you're trying to avoid the onslaught of bullets. And I I just like these in-universe devices that are working against you, but inadvertently, Mm. you know? Like, because, of course... This one also doesn't really make sense either, but there is a charm to that silliness. Like the the silliness, it didn't really bother me because the best parts of Dark are silly. And like there there are some motion sensing devices that enemies have placed in the world too. There's one that kind of looks like a secondhand portal turret that emits this UV light when it detects that you're near. Mm. And you know, you don't want ultraviolet rays. You're a vampire, obviously. Uh, so, you know, the, there are 100% inconsistencies in Dark. But from my experience, these audio playing hazards and the enemy's reactions to hearing them is pretty decent. I liked them. I did like them. Yeah, they were good. They were good. So that is what we thought of the stealth of Dark. 
So we are going to take a quick little break and then we will be back to talk about the boom boom and also the the level or area of dark that stood out to each of us. So we'll be back in just a sec. Okay then, let us talk more of Eric Bain and specifically the most noteworthy level missionary area in Dark. But before that, let us talk about the boom boom of Dark, which is, you know, typically it's where we discuss the more offensive parts of the game and the more explosive parts and also, you know, just kind of the other gameplay bits as well. And Josh, I know you wanted to talk about how the game, uh, it, it favours the more lethal of play styles. For sure. Or, or, or I should say, yeah, when it gets to those bits where it sort of forces your hand, there was a sort of point in Dark where I just thought, oh, you know what? I need to invest in some sort of naughty boy abilities here and start getting a bit nasty with people. And that's what I did. And when I did that, I thought, oh, okay, yeah, they, they definitely, yeah. Uh, but I will say, um, when you sort of embrace that and you sort of think, I'm just going to, there was one level where I got angry and actually just went out of my way to make sure everyone was dead. Uh, and at, I was sort of stuck on a bit. We'll get to that in a bit later. But um, but yeah, when when you do embrace that, really, really fun. And I forget which one it is. I think it's Shadow Kill. But it's like the blink thing, except at the end of it, he murks someone, basically. Uh, but what my favorite thing was when he did a backflip, which I don't, which doesn't trigger like every time. Sometimes it's just like he thumps them on the head, which is more efficient. Yeah, it has to be said. But every now and then he will kill them by warping to where they are and doing a backflip and then kicking them in the chin with the backflip. Uh, the force of the force of which is sufficient to fully end their life, and that that is actually <laughs> one of the better things I've done in games this year. But generally in games, it's just funny when people do flips because it's so rarely necessary. So when it does happen, I'm a big fan of that. Like forward flips, flips that turn into kicks. It's it's all good stuff as far as I'm concerned. So that that was my highlight for, for, for you know for that for that bit. If anything, really, in terms of flipping, you could say Eric Bain walked so Aston Merigold of JLS could run. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah, mm. we will say that. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, talking about the powers, right? One thing I wanted to bring up was that the game lets you craft the Eric Bane that you want. And I think it is worse for that. So like very briefly, we've mentioned some of this already, but in Dark, you have a skill tree split up into three different sections, inherent powers, passive powers, and vampiric powers. The inherent powers are the ones you begin with. So things that we've mostly mentioned already, like the feeding on enemies, the instant kill power, Vampire vision, maybe we haven't mentioned that yet, but we're going to talk about it later, which allows you to see through walls. The passive powers then are things like make less noise while moving, have more health, etc., etc. I suppose the things that I have an issue with are, are the, the vampiric abilities. I just think it is a batshit idea to allow the player create their own brooding Elder Scrolls character. <laughs> Like, I don't know if it's because 
like you know on the back of the box I think even I, I mentioned earlier like it, it the game does tout having like RPG elements and you know allowing you to to build your own vampire rather than building your own bear build a bane <laughs> yes thank you I know we get there in the end but yeah so so those vampiric powers right as the name suggests uh, they are very vampire-y. <laughs> yeah. um, and as mentioned earlier, these are the powers that use up your blood units. So, you know, again, one use equals one blood unit used. And then to replenish these, suck the blood of the mm. enemies. Now, these powers include things like Shadow Kill, which Josh already told you about, where Eric flies through the air and murders the guard in one move, or you've Shadow Grip, which is a ranged attack, that allows you to strangle a guard from a distance, I know is a, a favourite of Adam Carroll's, or you have Subdue, which allows you to put a trance on an enemy so they'll be oblivious to their surroundings for a set time. Mm. That's just three of the eight. Now, again, like so much of Dark, it all sounds grand, and in the case of those particular powers, a fully upgraded Shadow Grip in particular is often wonderful. Now, my issue is that giving the player the power to use their skill tree points as they wish, especially, especially in that early game, can result in you having a pretty difficult time with enemies in the early going. Mm. And then a way too easy time of it from the midway point. Of course, some of that does depend on when you choose some of these abilities. Because like when you're starting at zero, you have no way of knowing what power is more useful than another in particular areas. Like going back to Shadow Grip, for example, like in my eyes, that thing is a beast. When it's fully upgraded, you can strangle an enemy from afar and their body will dissolve, getting rid of the evidence. Oh, that's mental. That's incredible. Yeah, I actually didn't, didn't realise about the body dissolving bit. That's, that's fucking mental. Yeah. I didn't get that until about maybe halfway through. There's surely quite a simple fix for this. Like Rose, who is the, the mission giver of the game, at least up until the halfway point, they could teach you a power or two maybe in between missions and then you dump points into making those powers stronger, if you like. Yeah, yeah. done. Like, th- then the subsequent levels can contain scenarios that make use of your new fucking powers. Like, I am just baffled as to why they did it this way. Just, it, again, maybe it's the uh, kind of RPG selling point, perhaps, but I just think it is, it, it, it just results in, as I say, you may be having quite a difficult time of it at the beginning. At least, uh, you know, I did. Mm. And then when you find that power, like, and for some people it might be different. For me, it was Shadow Grip. For you, Josh, you know, you're saying it was obscure it's, perhaps. It's funny, actually, me and you had the opposite thing, I think. I found the early bit ridiculously easy to go full stealth because I had obscure and then actually struggled when it sort of said it is a bit where you got to kill four blokes. You you sort of had the opposite, I guess. But yeah, it's, it's bonkers. Yeah, yeah. No, it is. I respect it. Like I, 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 I always like it when developers want to put freedom in the hands of the player, but you do have to sort of go, yeah, but, but this isn't an action RPG. I mean, we can put those mechanics in, but this is a stealth game and we've built the levels to, for it to be a stealth game with spe- specific curated enemies and challenges. So there is some friction there. I, I know Shadow Grip was something that you used quite a bit as well, Adam. Yeah, I did because I think it just got to a stage where I felt like I was like, I, I need to change this gameplay up somehow. So when I was kind of like focusing on the the, the, the upgrade of the powers and what, 
would be more fun as it went on. Like, like something like um, distract, distracting the enemies and stuff. Is it just called distract, is it? It's just called distract, yeah. Yeah. Like for me personally, I never want to do that at this point, like halfway through the game. I was like, I don't want to distract. That sounds so boring. And so in my mind, <laughs> it was either shadow kill or shadow grip. And when I got the 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 whole thing with shadow grip, I was like, oh, that seems pretty cool. That's it. I like the way you could do it from such a distance and like it let you do it when you were like crouched against the wall and things like that. You know, it, it was fairly like, it was fairly sound with how, how often you could kind of use it, I guess. But like, I just at that point just wanted the game to start becoming more fun to play because I was I was literally just doing the same thing over and over. Like it was shadow grip and just punching people. <laughs> and like there's another ability that we're going to get onto next that I have the poor like complete opposite thing to say about. <laughs> well, look, let us talk about it then, because while researching this game, right, I, I think I remember seeing in one interview that Realm Forge landed on the power that Adam is alluding to, Shadow Leap, without knowing that Arcane Studios were working on their own version in another game we'll eventually get around to, uh, 2012's Dishonored. Now, in Dishonored, it's called Blink. In Dark, as already mentioned, it's called Shadow Leap. And it is, oh my God, it pales in comparison so much (laughs) like an Irish family getting off the plane in the Algarve it just oh my god I I suppose for for those that aren't familiar right Shadow Leap in Dark is where you can propel Eric Bain forward in a puff of smoke to an assigned area it's a teleport basically it sounds cool in principle and thankfully it is you should actually play Dishonored to see the good version of it, if you would like. They did it well there, and in every game since that does it, it is referred to as Blink. Like, they kind of, in a similar way to, like, the detective vision in Batman or whatever, like, Dishonored did it, and people went, cool, it's now called Blink in every video game. But, uh, you know, I'll, I'll stop mentioning Blink, because there's enough to go on with just Shadow Leap. And, like, this... This can be tied to just a wider point about general movement in Dark. So, like, as you're aware by now, dear listener, you're a vampire, right? A, a famously quite liquid creature that can move in ways that human eyes find incomprehensible, but also sexy and mesmerizing. <laughs> well, Eric Bain, he's not sexy. He's not mesmerizing. Mm. He's devoid of all fluidity. Mm. I can only imagine he pisses sand. Mm. (laughs) No liquid whatsoever. Pointing your shadow leap landing spot to where you want to go is cumbersome enough as it is on the ground. Yeah. But the game then also tells you quite early on that you can use it to hop up on ledges, right? Which I think even you said earlier, Adam, like, oh, cool. Like, I mean, Batman stalking his prey Mm -hmm. from a gargoyle. Wrong. No, No. because Dark will only allow you to hop up on ledges that it has deemed hop up onable. It's also effectively useless until you dump points into it in your skill tree. Definitely. Yeah. When you go out in that first mission... It's terrible because the range on it is is pitiful. It makes a loud noise whenever you use it at the, the beginning as well. And yeah, you, you have to upgrade it. to act, Like I didn't use it for quite a while until I actually had 
point in it. Unless I missed a thing, I was going to ask you guys about this, but he he can't vault over uh, waist high stuff. So, which is weird in itself. Like he just can't like mantle. So it actually gets to the point where shadow leap is all he can do. Like in terms of climbing, like you, you actually need that to do anything. When you like fully upgrade it, it it is better. Like there are moments where it does blow some of the levels wide open. Like the Geoforge thing was actually ridiculous with if you got the fully upgraded leap because you can cut out doing the whole thing with the UV lights. You can just leap over key bits. Like that, there is an upside to it. I did just want to just nip in here to say I definitely agree that it's um, shonky and bullshit and it's mental that he can't climb over things and that he's reliant on this shadow leap that barely works. But when it does work... I do just want to say fair, fair enough to, to Realm Forge because you didn't know that Arcane was going to absolutely smack you all over the place, right? But you did arrive at this thing independently. And like, you know, yeah, everyone gives the props to Blink from Dishonored and they give it to that for a good reason because it was implemented beautifully. But you did still get there on your own and it is still an innovative mechanic and... I think, yeah, okay, the implementation scuppers it. I don't know if, the, if if we would all be referring to it. Oh, well, that's just Shadow Leap from Dark. Like, it would have to, <laughs> like, you know, fair enough. But I did just want to say uh, some kudos for the folks at Realmforge because they did just strike upon it on their own. And uh, yeah, it's okay. It's, it's when fully upgraded and when used in the predetermined fashion, it can be... Uh, quite good I think Shadow Leap is like olives I think it's a disgrace (laughs) I think it's just so so awkward it starts off at the at the beginning showing you that you can do this and I feel I felt then I was like oh I'm gonna I'm gonna do a lot of this so I imagine it's gonna be a lot of stalking from above and dropping down with takedowns I felt like this is where we were going (laughs) <laughs> and as you said, Colm, like there are moments where when I try to do it, I actually felt I was like, am I pressing the wrong button to do this? Because where's the where's the circle? Where's the circle gone? And then I'd look it up like, no, I'm pressed the right button. I'm just not angled <laughs> in the right way. Mm. And like sh- showing you that like, oh, you can get over fences and stuff like that. Like there's never those, those moments only happen about two or three times, like two or three times. And like, it makes no sense. Like there, there's something to be said about how, as you said, like dishonored and stuff like that. And like, I felt like this game at this point, like midway through it, it I wanted to feel like Batman and things like that. I wanted mm. to be like, I said, stalking the enemy from above. I thought we were going to get to that, that stage. There is one particular, uh, like, area where I felt like do I use Shadow Leap here and I don't know like if you remember it right but it's um it's kind of near the end but it's like a big kind of building place and uh, there's a computer you have to get to but right in front of the computer is one of those like giant tank enemies with the Gatling gun or some sort or whatever right and you have to get mm-hmm. right behind that person but the whole place the whole place is invaded with enemies and it kind of seems like in this area if Shadow Leap worked well, I could probably get through this in a fun <laughs> and creative way. But because that ability does not work well, 
the, the whole thing is a shit show. Like, and I, you've, I feel like I play everything, every scenario, like where Shadowleaf was presenting itself. It, it, it would never work right. Like I never, ever used. It, 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 for me, it's the worst ability of 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 them all. <laughs> it's uh, and like the fact it even it punishes you even more by having enemies hear us. That is funny. That oh, I should also say, you guys, because it only fits in this bit, right? And it is sort of it's sort of linked with Shadow Leap. Uh, so you press the left trigger to get into cover, yeah. Um, and if if you have a lot, well, any, it works on any section of the wall, but I discovered what I think is a glitch, but a repeatable glitch, and it's sort of everything that you want Shadow Leap to be. Um, if you tap the left trigger so as to snap into cover, but you fan the fucking trigger like a machine gun, you can tap it loads while holding forwards, uh, Eric will... Uh, snap into cover and and walk as though he were walking sort of like along that cover. You know, you can sort of sidle along the thing. If you just tap it really quick, he zooms. He tra- he he fucking bolts down that wall at the speed of sound quicker. Yeah, at, and he cannot be seen. Like it's mental. Enemies just like so. And it where it really highlighted it to me was in the Geoforge bit where there's those really long like gantries. You can just and if because the, there's enemies everywhere there. If you just do my little trick thing and just fucking tap the trigger, he just goes and just sort of like hops all the way to the end, completely hidden. I was like, well, that's what Shadow Leap should be. It should be something like you know. Yeah. But that was just a weird thing. But you can do it when it were like wherever you want, as long as the wall's long enough. But anyway, yeah, no. I, I do agree, Adam. It's 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 just it's just stupidly awkward, and it's never it's never smooth to use. Like just placing the cursor anywhere and figuring out where how far you can go. It's just it's a complete mess. Even his general human like movement pissed me off. Mm. Controlling his walk to run speed on the analog <laughs> stick, yeah, is so awkward. He doesn't have a kind of comfortable pace. He either crawls or he legs it. His normal walk looks like he shat himself as well. It's so <laughs> slow and it's all rigid and his little arms go. It's, it's quite something. That is what we thought about the boom boom. So let us now talk about the mission level or area that stood out to all of us. And look, I, I'll start us off because... You've mentioned this area a couple of times now, Josh, and that's a Geoforge. This is chapter two. Oh, yeah. And specifically, I wanted to talk about the very final area of Geoforge. So first of all, Geoforge, I mentioned this earlier. It's a high rise building that holds artificial parks. You're told before you go there that there are floors of like beaches and greenery and whatever. It's just, you know. A bit of country life for the for the city slickers. A bit like Kew Gardens. If you've ever been to the greenhouse in Kew Gardens with the elevated gantries, it's just like that, really. But shit, shitter, shitter. <laughs> you you talk to Tom, Rose, and June, three of your friends, before you head to Geoforge. Three friends that you'll become acquainted with in in uh, in the next section. But yeah, you talk to them before you head to Geoforge, and each of them makes a big song and dance about Vlad being this old and very powerful vampire. Like, 
we're talking Dracula levels of hype from those three. When you eventually see him, you realise that he has obviously opted to abstain from using his impressive vampiric powers and he's just decided to try and shoot <laughs> you with his sniper. You're not fine. All right, Vlad, cool. So this whole area is just a large section with stairways that go up and down to platforms and you have to navigate your way around it. As Josh already mentioned, eventually you get to Vlad, you kiss his neck. Lovely. Mm -hmm. And it's not like I hated all of this level. As I already said, there are those motion sensing information uh, kiosks and uh, this this is where the game also does introduce the, the UV rays as well. However, at this point in the game, I feel like I was getting a, a handle on uh, a lot of things and thus I was seeing how the game was doing things that other games do, but just not as well. Like we mentioned Shadow Leap from Dishonored. There, I, I, and I won't go over all ground again, but, you know, this was when not being able to hide bodies really stood out to me. Mm. Stick generic boxes and levels are just something. Or in lieu of that, let me eventually gain an ability to destroy corpses. But anyway, anyway, like Vlad is basically a shit version of Metal Gear Solid 3's The End. We'll get to Snake Eater in five, ten years, mm. whatever, uh, which will allow me then to talk about one of the greatest video game bosses of all time. And it may be unfair of me to compare Vlad to The End from Metal Gear Solid 3 Snake Eater. I think it's a great comparison. I think it's great. It, to me, it's pretty clear that's what they were going for. I think so, yeah. You know, he, he doesn't shoot at you all the time, in this part of the level, but there are areas where he will be having a mm -hmm. pop at you and while you're trying to get around his minion guards. And frankly, it's annoying. Like, in particular, that very final section, which is so cramped, it has a lot of enemies dotted about the place. Like, I was, I died a good number of times here. Me too. And some of that, some of that does go back to not having the right abilities, I suppose, and having dead bodies lying in the ground, blah, blah. But either way, just this area, honestly, it made me a little bit sad because they were, they were paying homage to, you know, it reminded me of a game I have uh, fond memories of, but it also reminded me of a game that I'm very fond of. And I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah, that, that one does this, but quite a bit better. Doesn't flatter by comparison. Yeah, this is the bit, by the way, that I was uh, alluding to earlier, where it just sort of my stealth only approach. So I got right to the end of this bit uh, pretty easily. And then it's that final area where there's four kiosks, like pillars that you can't go near and four guards on one platform. And you have to be on the platform, which is impossible because the guard, so you have to kill all four guards and you just have to wait until Vlad just teleport. Cause he, cause that's the other thing about this. Unlike the end, uh, who had to jog very charmingly from place to place. If he was discovered, Vlad can just teleport. Um, but that for me, I don't know how you guys did it. It was potluck for me. I was really struggling. And then just on one of the, I was very lucky. I placed a save just before that final walkway on one of them. He, he, I think it's a fucking RNG. He just randomly just like, oh, that time he just teleported two foot in front of me. And I just ran up to him and pressed the A button to end the mission. And as I was running, blokes were going, oh, and fucking shooting after me. Like, like I'd trigger the alarm, smash the A button. Oh, thank Christ. I managed to do it. Beat the alarm and just end the level. But yeah, just, just chaos. 
for that bit for me. Josh, you've picked chapter three, which is the Atlantis yes. nightclub. And this, this, so this is the area before the... Titty um, Twister. Uh, before the Titty <laughs> yeah, Twister. This. Yeah, baby. <laughs> right. Yeah, this is the, uh, this is the, this is the, um, what's his name? Steiner. It's Steiner, isn't it? Victor Steiner. Who is the, um, uh, scar-faced, uh, sort of smooth talker. Um, all the characters in this are sort of nothing, but in a funny way, he's sort of two-dimensional. But anyway, so he runs this place. And the the reason that I kind of picked it was because I thought it was the closest thing to... It was a bit different. It's a bit different. It, it, it's not social stealth, right? So, so the setup is, but it, but it, it's kind of closest this game gets to it. So the setup is, you have to go to this Atlantis uh, nightclub, but um, Lady at Sanctuary, whose name I forget, she's a DJ as well. So whenever she talks to you, she's already angry that she's not DJing and is taking time out to talk to you. Oh, don't you worry. We'll be talking about her. <laughs> oh, <yeah>. Okay. <laughs> she gives you a, a, a an ID card. So so you don't have to worry. You can go into this place and you can see Eric Bain's lovely uh, walk animation, which, which you rarely will get to see, but you can walk in a sort of unflustered manner. And um, that was kind of st- like it sort of leapt out to me as being like oh this will be like a social stealth vibe where i don't actually it actually isn't that what it is is the civilians that are all in the place you don't need to worry about them but there are also just guards and you do need to worry about them so it's line of sight with those guys but then also, there's not that many of them in the nightclub bit. It's just like, oh, there goes one. Oh, I'll duck behind this pillar. Oh, but actually he's gone. So now I could just walk up to the bar. Like, there's just an element of, oh, this is this is different. There's lots of NPCs here. I feel like, whereas the other places are, are, are fucking insane and just like isolated environments that don't really exist in the real world, this at least felt like... I am in a place on planet Earth. This is feasibly a place that, that you, you know, rather than a weird greenhouse where there are only mercenaries with machine guns in the middle of a city on the top floor. Like this at least felt like, eh, some vampires might hang out here. I can sort of get that. And the objectives I thought was cool because before you get back to doing the usual dark stuff, which is, as you, as we've said, gun knocking about killing people, you have to cause a distraction in the club which i thought was kind of cool so uh rose gives you like three or four smoke bombs which is quite funny uh but but you just have to put these smoke bombs in in the in like bins that are just in the nightclub and then you run to a place and hide and then you say okay rose activate the smoke bombs and she does and then all the people immediately start screaming which is again very funny and just running out of the club but it was just different for a little bit, for sort of five to ten minutes. It was just a little glimpse of like, oh yeah, what if what if we did do some other stuff? What if you didn't just have to sort of kill kill folk? And you actually can't kill the guards because when you do, everyone starts screaming as well. So <laughs> yeah, I, I just thought, how's about a little taster of something else dark might have been if it had way more time way more budget and you know way more developers something a bit different as you say like you can't use your powers in in that section yeah and there are cameras and also you sort of have to be on best behavior for for five ten minutes it's nice something is you don't have to be on best behavior for 
is the section that you wanted to highlight, Adam. Mm-hmm. Chapter six, uh, the M17 base, the final boss fight with Victor Steiner. <laughs> now, I'll just go out and say it. I think this is one of the worst boss fights I've ever played in any video game <laughs> in my life. Paint me a picture. I'll paint a picture first now of what, what, what you do here, right? So you have spent a couple of hours. Like the game isn't incredibly long, but you've spent a bit of time. We've been frustrated. We've done our bits and bobs. We've come up to this epic battle here now and I'm supposed to be the vampire of all vampires it's all leading up to this I got my abilities I have my skill points I've earned my XP to make myself blade and (laughs) you fight Victor Steiner at the end and what happens is you are basically in a circle of a ton of computers let's just say and Rose is, I think Rose is up, up above you somewhere, shouting down at you uh, when to approach one of these computer screens and activate it. Now, while this is happening, Victor Steiner is just leaping <laughs> all around the place above you on these, <laughs> these things. He's just jumping around the place. And what you have to do is avoid when he is about to jump down and try and squash you. But what happens is the challenge is so simple that it may, it baffled me. It blew my mind because when he jumps, there is an entire like circle of, of like on the ground where you see he is going to land. And it even shows you the radius, how far the jump is going to uh, hit you and stuff. Mm. And when all you have to do is keep avoiding that and then Rose will tell you when to go at a screen and activate it. That then gives old Victor a bit of an old head he- headache situation and he starts holding his head and you have to do that about eight times. <laughs> when that happens, it just ends and Rose and Eric just walk out. Relationship, here we come. Happy days. <laughs> so baffling because of the level of frustration and difficulty that was brought from just the standard enemy. You would think that this boss fight would have everything going on. It would have you using every ability that you've picked, everything that you've learned, mm. that you would try and use every single bit of it. The only ability you really would probably use here is, I don't know, fucking... Shadow Leap, or something like that. I knew you were going to say. The one that is the worst. I feel it's the only ability you need to use if you want to use something. But other than that, you can get through this entire boss fight by just running in a circle and avoiding that leap. And it's it's awful. It's absolutely awful. (laughs) I was fucking raging. I was absolutely raging that, like, that's what happened at the end. That's, That's very fair. I was so mad. Did I play the DLC? No. <laughs> Did you play Cult of the Dead? I fucking played Cult of the Dead because I was like, I'm going to see what's happening here. No, no good? Or? <laughs> I, I'll t- I, I'll, I, I won't go into it, right? But I, all I'll say is that this is exactly what happened, right? When, when, that, when that game ended, when Dark ended for me and I went through that fight, I was staring at the screen <laughs> with my mouth open and I saw Rose and Eric head off and the credits rolled and I went, no. Fuck you now. Fuck you. And I, I came out of the game, went straight in, spent my six euro on that DLC and went straight into DLC because I was like, you need to give me the rest of this game. You need to show me that there's more to this. 
after what I've just gone through, you cannot leave me on that note. Did it shed any light on? Is the story? Does it take place after the end of the game? Uh, it just completely does not change. Like it just it just goes on to this group of cultist people, and there is a book of the date, and you have to find the book. Oh wow! Okay. It literally goes on the exact same way. It plays the same way. Same abilities. One or two different enemies I'd say and it's the bones of about 45 minutes long 6 euro well spent <laughs> oh my god so that is what we thought of the boom boom and the levels the, the chapters as they're called in the game uh, that stood out to us so we are going to take a quick little break and then we will be back it's all been leading up to this then we will be back to talk about the story of Dark and just any other things that we have to add as well. So back in just a tick. All right, then let's talk about the narrative of Dark. Oh, yeah. And specifically, firstly, at least, let us look at Eric Bain, a man we have referenced numerous times throughout this podcast. Of course, he is the protagonist. He is the man on the cover, or well, I guess Channing Tatum's on the cover, but <laughs> we're meant to believe it's Eric Bain, I suppose. <laughs> but Eric Bain, like looking at him, right? He must have felt dated in 2013, let alone 2023. Yeah. Every, everything we've said, the clothes, the, the gravelly voice, voiced by Doug Cockle, who voices Geralt of Rivia in The Witcher. Yeah, who, by the way, uh, uh, this is probably not going to make me very popular. Doug Cockle, he's got a lovely voice. He does just do the one thing. And when that's Geralt of Rivia, that is, uh, I'm going out on a limb here with the whole Geralt thing, that is less about... Doug Cockle being like great than it is just really good casting and a particular person being perfect for a part, which can be true of someone like Keanu Reeves, for example, who is also, I Mm -hmm. would say, you know, not a terrific actor, but a likable presence and all that sort of stuff. That's the thing with Doug Cockle. He does one thing. The problem with games is that, you know, say what you will about Troy Baker, like, the guy's fucking versatile. He does the Joker in Batman and also Joel in The Last of Us. Like, Troy Baker can be in a game and you not know Troy Baker's in the game. And that's, for video games, that's a good thing. The bad thing about Doug Cockle, and again, wish him all the success in the world. He's got a lovely voice. But whenever he shows up and does the Doug Cockle thing, you just think, ah, oh, it's it's the Witcher guy. It's, a, it's not the Witcher, but it's the Witcher guy. And it just... It really takes me out of it in a weird way. Is that fair? Uh, it's 100%. You are listening to Geralt because that is most famously the now the voice of yeah. Geralt. And that stoicism, yeah, sure, it, it works for that, that role. But here, and like, and like that, that's direction. That's yeah, what that's on, yeah, you yeah. know, direction and casting. But it doesn't work here because... I think I mentioned this earlier. I did mention this earlier. Like, this guy has just been turned into a vampire. And if he doesn't act fast, he's going to turn into one of those mindless zombie vampires. And does he care? (laughs) It seems like he certainly doesn't. In in my view, he should be surprised, shocked at everything that's happened to him, the characters around him, what he has to do. Because as far as he is aware, 
like we learn that he was undercover and whatever else as it goes along. But in the game, as far as he's aware, he is a normal guy that has just been turned into a vampire. I know if it happened to me, I'm sure I'd be a little weirded out before I began acting like Kiefer Sutherland in The Lost Boys. Yeah. He's, he's just this emo adult who speaks poetically like, and just has, has no care in the world. And for the, the, the people at home, I wanted uh, to highlight that with, a, with the aid of a clip. So this is what Eric Bain says after you kill the first boss vampire that you face off against in the game, Blooming. Now, Blooming is going to be spoken about in a minute because he deserves his own time to shine. But for now, this is what Eric says after he has killed Blooming. So take a listen to this. I had to kill Blooming. I felt no pity. He deserved hell and all that went with it. Drinking his blood, that was something else. But I had no choice, and I drank. The initial warmth passed far too quickly and was replaced by a destructive, numbing pain. I curled up on the floor and spat blood. Blooming's blood. Then there was only the pain, and slowly the darkness welcomed me. Now, when I first heard that, I was like, that reminds me of something. All those pointed mentions of blood. Blood, it's blood, blood. And I was like, I'm trying to put my finger on it and I couldn't. And then one day over the last fortnight, I remembered. And dear listener, it was this. Something was pouring from his mouth. He examined his sleeve. Blood? Blood. Crimson, copper-smelling blood. His blood. 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 And bits of sick. <laughs> no. <laughs> Dear listener, if you're not aware, let me introduce you to Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. One of the best comedies of the last 20 years, hands down, is incredible from start to finish. But Eric Bain has big Marenghi energy. Uh, until, as you were saying, as the words were leaving your mouth when you, when you were saying about blood, that hit me like a lightning bolt the moment before you played the clip. You're so, that's so spot on. That didn't occur to me, but that is brilliant. That's brilliant. <laughs> it is, it is that clip. Also, and, and, and this is probably unintentional, I don't know about numbing pain. I mean, which is, which, which is it? <laughs> Can pa- can pain be numbing? Either you feel pain or you're or you're numb. Do you know what I mean? It's like which which is it? I don't know. Just one of those little things where I just sort of thought numbing pain is that? <laughs> but uh, there you go. Yeah, it's dark place. It's Eric Bain's dark place. <laughs> but because what you have written down in this document, Josh, it makes me think that. Even even after all the things that you said, that you're going like, oh, I kind of like, like him. The though. thing is, right. So look, everything it's indefensible, and I know that, but I will try and mount a defence. So I've got a soft spot for stupid goth bitch boys who run around games moaning about morality while they're killing folk. I think that's brilliant and funny. And and it is rubbish, but it's so perfectly rubbish. I cannot believe that Garth Marenghi clip. It's so spot on. But I know the people at Realmfoot, because the thing is, you know, Garth Marenghi, supposed to be funny, supposed to be so so bad, it's good. You know, and that 
it isn't the case here. But I've always got sympathy. And I've said this before on this podcast, Christ knows when, I'm always saying it, I say it too much. Vampires aren't done often in video games, end of sentence. Even rarer is when they're done well. This is not, I'm not about to say this is one of those times where they're done particularly well. If you want a better vampire experience would be Dishonored. You get to control rats and stuff. That's actually like, you're closer to a vampire in Dishonored than you are here. But like, I do have sympathy for uh, this vibe in games. And though it's not like executed well, and yes, the voice acting is uh, questionable, as as a vibe, I've got a lot of time for this. Um, no, the the story the story is absolutely batshit. You you are absolutely right about that. Um, but I've just got such a soft spot for sh- a shit shit nightclub where you're a vampire, and <laughs> I I just it's so fucking funny and i was just <laughs> laughing loads when i was playing it and i know it's like the furthest thing in the world for it's so funny that we spoke about like the last of us like two episodes ago and here we are with eric bain what a full spectrum that video games have to offer you know no one can accuse the, accuse the medium of being narrow <laughs> yeah it's shit but i sort of love it see like that, I love the nightclub and I, I do love the people in the nightclub, but Eric Bain, I find hard it's true. to... No, that, yeah. The story, in fairness, is somewhat coherent up until that middle section where the attack takes place on mm. the nightclub and the angel that Eric is seeing is revealed to be a former mm. work colleague of his. <laughs> like, I'm not saying it's terribly compelling up to that point, but I thought there was, you know, I, I found comfort in its layout. Mm. Man mm. is a vampire... Man must find person who turned man into vampire. But then at midway point, it just becomes, I mean, it becomes absolutely ludicrous. Yes, I appreciate it's not exactly grounded uh, before that point, but it just, I don't know. You know what? Even though the story gets a bit more silly, it's also more boring because you lose the comic relief that is Eric's friends. That's my main problem. And look, we're talking about him. Let's get into the best part about this game. And I mean this with every fibre of my being, it's the supporting cast of Dark. They are outstanding. (laughs) And of course, I mean they're outstanding in ways that I'm sure they're not meant to be outstanding. Still, Eric Bain's friends are brilliant. So I, I said this when giving you the recap of the story, but in the Sanctuary Nightclub, which is where you go in between chapters for the first half of the game, you're able to chat to four different vampire characters. They give Eric information about his new life, as well as some intel on his missions. And obviously I have clips that demonstrate these absolute beauties. Uh, And before we start, I want to say that I haven't edited any of these for brevity. These conversations have been deliberately edited this way for the game. So firstly, we have Rose. She's the owner of Sanctuary and She talks to Eric on the radio while he goes out looking to suck the blood of some vampires. She's probably the most straight-laced of all of his friends. But take a listen to this clip where she talks to Eric after he's killed Blooming in his first mission. Eric, good to see you. How does it feel to be a full vampire? Blooming's blood didn't cure me. It didn't? What makes you think that? The unbearable pain was a pretty good sign. Unbearable pain? 
That's odd. It should have worked, Derek. I know this doesn't help you, but it should have worked. Maybe there's another way. Even if it's not one I like, talk to Tom. He'll tell you everything he knows about Vlad. It should have worked, Derek. <laughs> <laughs> also, also, the sound of her on the keyboard, it does sound like she is Googling unbearable pain. Like she, she goes unbearable pain, and you can hear the keys going. Like she's on WebMD. Like new vampires, unbearable pain. Like, <laughs> unreal. Uh, next up, then we have Tom, and if I remember correctly, he's the the head of security at Sanctuary. Tom is this California bro who also sometimes loses mm-hmm. the accent, yeah. which just adds to the charm. Uh, but anyway, this is Tom talking about the second vampire that you're going to hunt down. I think this is actually directly after that conversation with Rose. The second vampire, Vlad, the sniper I spoke about earlier. Uh, so if you're wondering, and I'm sure you are because it's quite a complex code to crack, but if you're wondering why this vampire is called Vlad, Tom will tell you quite explicitly. So take a listen to this. I know why Rose sent you to me. There's other vampires in the city which could do the trick for you, but I bet Rose has one specific dude in mind. His name is Vlad. Asshole's real name definitely isn't Vlad, but that's what he wants to be called. Because of Vlad the Impaler, dig? Whatever. I love whatever. It's like, but but you were just saying all of those things. He just goes, whatever. It's like, <laughs> yeah. Tom is my favourite. You're right, Colin. He actually does sound like, he sounds different to what you most of the time hear him speak. Like, I genuinely think this man sounds like, for the most part, like Cheech and Chang's lost brother or something. <laughs> he just, because at the end of everything, he just goes, man, he just does all this kind of man all the time at the end of his sentence. And it's just like, right there, he just sounds totally different <laughs> and kind of way more witted or something. <laughs> then we have the first half of the Kruger, the identical Kruger twins. And that's the bartender, June. And June sounds like she went to school somewhere around where Tom grew up. This is a clip of her telling Eric about how vampire abilities can be used behind the bar. So, you know, not just for for killing and all that. You can actually, they have purpose outside of the vampiric arena. So take a listen to this. What do you know about vampire abilities? Not much, to be honest. My sister made me a vampire so I can move super fast, which is pretty cool when you're mixing drinks. But we're not in Rose and Tom's league. I've heard there's some really powerful vampires out there who can throw cars and trucks around or like jump from high-rise buildings. But I've never met anyone who could do that. Thank God. Thank God. I, 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 interesting for a vampire to thank yeah, God. Yeah, presumably they're no friend to the, to the Almighty. I know what you said Tom was your favourite, Josh, and maybe he was yours as well, Adam. My favourite is the last of the vampire friends I wanted to bring up. And this is June's identical twin sister, April. She's busy mixing. She is. She's the DJ at Sanctuary. I don't know why you can talk to April, really, because. She doesn't want to talk to you. Um, (laughs) This is a clip of the first time I met her. And despite her reluctance to speak with me, I did keep on trying. Yeah. And even in this clip, I think you can hear my disbelief (laughs) as I kind of stop and the music swells a bit as I'm as I'm going, what? (laughs) And I go back and try and talk uh, once more. So yeah, take a listen to this. Hey, you're Eric, right? I don't have much time. As you can see, I'm kind of busy. 
Can you tell me something about the museum? Not right now. Sorry, I'm busy. Yeah, sup? Tell me something about vampires. Maybe you don't realize it, but I'm working right now. I don't have time for that right now. Yeah, sup? Tell me about yourself. Honest, are you deaf or something? I'm busy. You can go bug my sister at the bar if you don't have anything better to do. Yeah, sup? See you around. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I love her. <laughs> the best bit is how you... She keeps telling you ways to piss off. And she goes, yeah, sup? Sup? <laughs> Yeah, that's that's up not yeah. Now you, you might be right. I think maybe she does top even Tom. Now while Eric's friends are magnificent, there is one enemy I also wanted a spotlight for our listeners. I've mentioned him a few times already, and that's the first vampire boss you take on. A man called Blooming. And it was I referenced what he says off the top. So before you meet him, you learn that this is the owner of a museum. And when you get there, you go, you see that he is chopping up bodies. So he's just, just an all round strange guy. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> to put it lightly, uh, I, I, I think that's the only context you need. He chops up bodies and he wants to chop up your body. So this clip has been edited, but only because I want to highlight, you'll hear the clear edit points. Uh, like I wanted to highlight the three different times that Bloomberg talks to you and there's a bit of gameplay in between. So, you know, you don't want to be listening to that. So take a listen to this absolute belter all time performance. This is Blooming from 2013's Dark. Oh, we have a visitor. You have beautiful hands. Beautiful hands. They go well with the arms I just amputated. Go! Bring me his hands! Ah! You just won't die! Ah! You just won't die! Can't you just die and leave me your hands? You can't hurt me! You can't hurt me! Die! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, that's top-notch stuff, that. Top work. That's the schlockiness that I want, Mm. you know? If you're going to go schlocky, go all the way. Go dark. If you're going to go schlocky, go dark. Yes. As the old saying goes, yeah. One last thing I wanted to mention on the story. In this game, there are Mass Effect-style dialogue wheels, and I have no idea why. Yeah. I really, I've, I've no idea why. So you go up to a character, you initiate a conversation and there you go. There's your Mass Effect dialogue wheel. You heard it in action with um, the DJ for Sanctuary, the woman who kept getting cross when I was pestering her. And yeah, you can ask them about different things in whatever order you like. But all this does in Dark is exhibit the limitations of this system in this game. Because... There are conversations where if you pick an order that the developer seemingly wasn't anticipating, you end up with a conversation where the first topic might be about what a person is doing. And then the second topic might be them introducing themselves. <laughs> like I, 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 that, that exact thing happened to me in the dialogue interaction you have with Victor Steiner. 
the, the last boss before he turns into the, the big hulking beast. It's just, it's a weird choice that would have been fixed by just having these conversations play out as cutscenes. And it's, a, it's actually weirdly like, it's not, it, it's a similar problem. And I think it comes from the same place as the skill trees. It's sort of someone who's going, can can we do the stuff that's in RPGs, even though this isn't really an RPG? And they're just going, yeah, mm. sure. Branching dialogue. Why not? And they're just, it's like, well, they, we're going to get them to say all of these things anyway. So it's not really branching. Like you, you, you will just go through all the things. So there's no point. And yeah, it, it is funny. They go from at chilled out to angry and then back again as well. Like because of the order, especially the DJ lady, you can, depending on, depending on the order, she goes from, absolutely hating you to ask well to saying sup as we've covered but there, there you go. so that is what we thought of the story so now we kind of just mop up any final things we have to say about dark and we've made reference to it numerous times throughout the listener has even heard a bit of it but adam carl take it away and tell us about the nightclub song or would you like the do you want, before you talk about it do you want the listener to, to hear it yeah this is officially going to be let me just have a quick look here I'm looking down the dock this is quite simply going to be the final time I'll hear this song mm. <laughs> okay okay so this is Daniel Farros featuring Sonia Kraushofer the song I believe is called Become the Night Brackets Dark Inside is what I was able to find on the internet at least. So yeah, here is a little clip of uh, that song. I just don't know where to start. If I'm going to say anything about it in a positive way, I do think it does fit that vampire theme, I guess, in a nightclub. I feel it's hitting that kind of gothic. Yeah. Jesus, it's not Depeche Mode, but, you know, it's it's going (laughs) along that kind of area, I feel. The problem with the tune is it never fucks off. No, no, it doesn't. It never, (laughs) it never goes away. It keeps returning because you keep going back, obviously to the century and stuff. And like, there was a point, right? I have to say, there was a point where like, I, when I started this game and you, you, you immediately open up in the nightclub and you meet all these characters. And I was in my head, dark for the first hour, I was like, this, this could be the greatest thing I play all year. This could be it. This could be it. I am, I am taking in all the stuff that's going on in the best way possible. And there's so much fun to be had. And you meet April and everything and she's doing all that. And there's so much happening. But every time you go back and that song plays after you have played more of the game in general and you start getting irritated and you start seeing all the issues 
and you return and you get the song again and again and again. It never leaves my brain. The vocal performance, and I'm st- like, what's going on with the vocal performance during that? I think it's the last maybe 15 seconds there of the clip you, you said. She, like, there's this thing that happens with the voice, and it's. Well, it, she's becoming the knight. Yeah, did, you, the, did you not hear the lyrics? Like, I, I, have them, <laughs> I have them here in front of me, the lyrics, just the part you heard there. Mm-hmm. Lead me to the end of me. It's getting dark inside as I become the night. Mm-hmm. What is happening to me? I doubt you know. What is waiting in the deep? I can't control. <laughs> Run with me. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And like, see, it, it's, quite, it's quite amazing that when the song gets like I I I like I'm 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 gonna be honest, like, I was getting very cross every time I heard this song as I was playing this game. I was getting very cross. And like it got to a point that when I first met April, I said in my head, You're brilliant anyway, you're hilarious. And anytime I returned to April and that song was still playing, I was hoping to God that one of those Mass Effect dialogue where there's a pop-up that would say, can you change the song? Because that, to me, <laughs> would have been the moment of the game. And, like, not only that, not only that with the song, it comes right after the last boss fight with Victor Steiner. It's the closing song with the credits. It's terrible. It's a terrible song. It's rough. Yeah. I wanted to mention the visuals. And firstly, something that we mentioned quite a bit in the early part of this podcast and, you know, a little bit throughout, I suppose, and that is the art style. Something that when I booted the game up, I actually found a bit odd because the cover art and just the general vibes, they don't really scream, you know, graphic novel, telltale walking dead, cell shaded type deal to me. But really without it, it would be terribly boring visually. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's not mind-blowing by any stretch, but it gives the game some character. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's an interesting, and it is an interesting thing of like, if you don't have the the money or the personnel, f- you know, f- to make Crisis, I, I can understand that. Go for stylization. It's a clever choice. Yeah. While we're talking about the visuals, one thing I think we can all agree on that is disgusting, <laughs> is the vampire vision. And I mean just an assault on my eyes. Absolutely appalling shit. Like, I, I, I can't remember if we've mentioned this already. Uh, maybe we did, but the, the game has a Batman Detective Vision type thing where you can see enemies through walls yeah. and it can be upgraded to see collectibles or electronic devices, etc., etc. But it is... I don't even know how to describe it. When you activate Vampire Vision, which you do loads, because there's no penalty for activating it, etc., etc., the screen turns into this purple and black shimmering mess, really. Walls, floors, objects look like they've been doused in this sort of special vampiric gothic (laughs) water that makes things harder to see than they Mm. should be. Like you, you are able to see enemies in red and devices are yellow and et cetera, et cetera. They're the only things you can see really. When it's fully upgraded, it's just this, 
I don't know, I can't, I can't really put it better than I already have. It is just an unmitigated disaster for the ice. It's incredible, yeah. really. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. It is. And I actually had a glitch where um, if... If you hold down, because you have to hold down the button to trigger it, it's not like a toggle. If you hold, if you're holding down the vampire vision button, and then you pause the game while you've got the button held down, uh, and then you load a previous save, it triggers a glitch where you'll load the thing, and you're just in vampire vision all the time, and you can't. Yeah, no! and and when you press the vampire vision. At that point, you then trigger a super vampire vision, which puts an extra, <laughs> uh, like, <laughs> glitchy vampire. It's like vampire vision on top of vampire vision. And the visual noise of the image, I ha- I just had to look away and, 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 and basically turn the steam deck off and fucking lie down it was like a it's like a migraine if, you ever, if, if any li- uh, listeners have migraines every now and you get the sort of visual uh distortion it actually looks like that for me remarkable stuff remarkable stuff oh incredible <laughs> that's dark that is indeed dark so we're gonna take a quick little break we will be back to give you our final verdict on dark but before that we are going to play a little quiz. Every episode of the Stealth Boom Boom podcast sees me test the gaming knowledge of my co-host with a simple game I like to call Who Am I? I give five clues to the identity of a video game character and you, Josh Wise, and you, Adam Carroll, must give me the correct answer. All you have to do is say stop and then give me said answer. Given the nature of this podcast, the video game character in question will be from a stealth slash stealthy video game, and I will not listen to any complaints from either participants if they have a problem with the character I have chosen. I will read the clues once and once only during play, unless we reach the fifth clue and there is no winner. Then and only then will I repeat all five clues. Thought it needed a bit of clarification there. So listen up and listen up good. Let us play Who Am I? Clue number one. My first appearance in a video game came in 2013. 2013. Stop. Josh Wise. Booker DeWitt from Bioshock Infinite. Incorrect. Clue number two. Some people probably don't love being interviewed, but I don't mind it. It allows me to have a bit of fun. Oh, being interviewed. Interviewed? Uh, Oh, okay, all right. Clue number three. My friends and I are a really colourful bunch. Stop. Uh, Adam Carroll? Sly Cooper? Incorrect. Clue number four. Another thing I should probably mention is that I love money. Oh, what? Clue number five. Fingers on the buzzers for clue number five. While I have no issues getting my hands dirty, I do also have a friend who nabs me cash. Hector is his name. Hector. Oh. Wait. Uh, That's a thing. Oh, fuck. Oh, yes. Um. Oh, God. 
What's the fucking game? Because we... Uh, and there's a little fucking fella. Uh, <laughs> stop, stop. Josh Wise. Tell me the answer, Josh, and I'll say it there. <laughs> it's the little monkey fella man from Monaco. Um, uh, it, little monkey gets Aww. in the coins in Monaco. Um, the, uh, oh, God. Uh, <laughs> is it Marcel from Monaco? Incorrect. Uh, oh, is it... Uh, stop. Josh Wise. <laughs> uh, is it the uh, lookout from Monaco? <laughs> Incorrect. Uh, stop. Josh Wise. Um, the pickpocket from Monaco. And this week's winner is Josh Wise. Oh, I was trying to take it. Oh, there was the cleaner as well, wasn't there? There was. There was indeed. That was incredible. That little monkey made a big impression on me, clearly. So to go through the clues, clue number one, my first appearance in a video game was in 2013 when Monaco What's Yours Is Mine was released. Clue number two, some people probably don't love being interviewed, but I don't mind it. It allows me to have a bit of fun. Oh yeah, the police. Yes, because Monaco's yeah. campaigns are split up into police interviews and the locksmith's interview sees them messing with Inspector Voltaire, as we discussed on this podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, clue number three, my friends and I are a really colourful bunch. Pretty straightforward. Everyone in the game has their own colour, mm-hmm. the locksmiths being yellow. Clue number four. Another thing I should probably mention is that I love money. He's the pickpocket. He does. <laughs> and clue number five. While I have no issues getting my hands dirty, I do also have a friend who nabs me cash. Hector is his name. And yes, indeed, he has a pet monkey that grabs coins during the levels. And the monkey's name is Hector. It is the pickpocket from Monaco. What's yours is mine. And you know what's really funny? Isn't it funny that one of my guesses was Marcel? From Friends. It's Ross's little cappuccino <laughs> monkey, Marcel. You can see where my brain was going. So that is another edition of Who Am I for a fortnight. So we're going to take a quick little break and then we will be back to give you the verdict on Dark. Right then, let us give you our final thoughts on the video game we have been discussing. But before we do, I have some reviews from critics at the time Dark originally came out. So, from Leif Johnson of IGN, who gave it a 4 out of 10, they said, quote, Dark is a stealth action adventure that's brimming with good ideas, but poor AI, a weak story and repetitive gameplay drive a three-pronged stake through the heart of its entertainment value. John Blythe of Official Xbox Magazine gave it 6 out of 10 and said, quote, Dark is frustrating because the, that initial feeling of being a zippy blur of a vampire in a world of neon-lit night never leaves you. It's just swamped in frustrating design decisions, a script that lurches from passable to laughable, weak enemy AI and a vortex of a lead character who's impossible to like or hate. Mike Suski of Games Radar gave it 2.5 out of 5 and said, quote, Dark is tiresome trial and error stealth action that offers occasional glimpses 
of what could have been an interesting game had a more seasoned studio been behind it. Richard Cobbett of PC Gamer gave it 43 out of 100 and said, quote, it's that guy at the goth club, desperate to fit in its clothes and makeup, a copied uniform rather than a personal statement. And finally, Andrew Reiner of Game Informer gave it 2 out of 10 and said, quote, like its vampire characters, Dark never has a pulse. The gameplay is a frustrating mess and the story withers and dies early on. But none of those opinions matter, lads. None of those opinions matter. The only opinions that matter are Adam's, Josh's and mine as we bestow badges of approval or disapproval on Dark. And how this works, if you haven't heard before, is that each of us will give Dark a rating. That rating is either a pass, a play, or an espionage explosion. A pass, we don't think you should play this game. A play, we think you should play this game. An espionage explosion, we really think you should play this game. One, two, three. All rationale for ratings is entirely up to whomever is bestowing the badge of approval slash disapproval. And we do change the order of a badge bestowers on each episode. And this week, the order is as follows. It is Adam, Josh, and then Colm. So let's give our final ratings of a dark. Adam Carroll, take us away. Um, so, okay. I, I think, er, fucking not to pass. It's a pass. <laughs> That's just it. I just, like, I, I said my piece. <laughs> oh, wow, there's a defeated man. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Josh Wise. I'm probably going to have to go for a uh, play. <laughs> because. Because of Eric Bain. We've got. <laughs> We've gone through, you know, the various reasons why, you know, this, 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 this is falls short. But I would say that the uh, little, un- slightly underwhelming, but but pretty much solid line of sight stealth, which isn't as common as you think it is in games. Um, I'd say that um, will scratch an itch for. For, for some people and i would say that the hilarious moments in this game um probably not intended by by those at realm forge but the humor is is top top notch um <laughs> and you know also if you're a, a fan of vampires there ain't a lot of them in games and you know this is this is one of them but yeah i can't bring myself to uh to, to to say wholly pass on this one, uh, but but it's not that much of a play, you know. It's uh, <laughs> I, I I am aware that I'm being quite mad with this, but but there you go. Josh, Colin Mahon, come out here and go one up with an espionage explosion. What do you think, Colin? Oh, I'd love to, Adam. Oh, I I really would love to. <laughs> and you know what? I am glad that one of us has gone play in many ways. Just even for Blooming or, you know, some of the characters um, in this game. But like, Josh, overall, though, you are a madman. This is a pass. Um, uh, Again, like Adam, for everything I said. I mean, of course it is. Uh, But at the same time, I I wouldn't say that I didn't enjoy parts of it. I mean, I spoke glowingly about the the supporting cast. But obviously, you know, for reasons that I I don't think that were were meant 
I can honestly say I don't think I'll ever forget Dark. I will never forget Dark. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> that's what I'm coming out here. I will never forget Dark. But you know what? Forget Dark because we're not talking about it anymore. We're, because we need to turn our attention to the next episode of Stealth Boom Boom, where we're going to be looking at a game that had Daniel Riendo of Polygon saying, "quote." The atmosphere and complexity compensate for any small missteps, end quote. Daniel Hines of GameSpot said this game is, quote, so unpolished and so massively reduced in scope that it's hard to immerse yourself in the world, end quote. And Mike Minotti of GamesBeat said, quote, bringing an experience as complicated as this series to a touchscreen should have been a mess, but I was easily sneaking, hacking and headshotting my way through the short campaign, end quote. Vastly differing opinions there, of course, because this game released on two very different platforms. We are staying in 2013 for the next episode of Stealth Boom Boom, as we're going to be tackling a series that is going to be coming up an awful lot on Stealth Boom Boom in the future. But instead of going for the obvious original, we're looking at the mobile spin-off. Why not? Yes, on the next episode of Stealth Boom Boom, we're going to be discussing, reviewing, dissecting Deus Ex The Fall. My name is Ben Saxon. I'm a mercenary. A soldier. I lost everything I was. I became a killer. I went rogue. Then I turned against the darkness and the lies fed to me by those hiding in shadows. I found others who believe in the same cause. And now, I'm fighting to survive. I can never let them win. As I said, Deus Ex, you know, a massive series and one that would, would certainly be up there with, I, I know, like it's an immersive sim more than, than a, a kind of a pure stealth game like some of your Metal Gear Solids, your Splinter Cells, your whatever. But certainly it's got to be up there on on your your stealth games lists, no doubt, the Deus Ex yeah. series. We are indeed starting off with the, the uh, coming up on 10 year anniversary of the fall. And what I usually do here, it lads, is like to get just a little teaser as to your history with the game that we're going to be discussing. So, Adam Carroll, did you had you played Deus Ex the Fall previously in your life? No, I have not. I know the franchise pretty well. Um The Fall though, I never heard of. And okay. I'm gonna be honest and say that this could possibly be the first Deus Ex game that I'll ever finish. I don't know if I will finish it. I don't know how hard this game Ooh. is. But um, is there is there a fan right now of, of, of Deus Ex who are, who's just going, what is this man saying? Why is the fog going to be his first Deus Ex game that he'll finish? <laughs> it could be the best Deus Ex game. I don't know. We'll find yeah, out yeah. soon. Josh Wise, 
What about you? What's your history of The Fall? I had never played The Fall, uh, but I was aware of it because when the human revolution, when Adam Jensen made his uh, made his debut and people, there was a lovely resurgence uh, for Deus Ex. And so I was aware of uh, The Fall, but I remember at the time um, just being like, yeah, it's a mobile spin-off. That'll just be a load of old bollocks. And actually just had no <laughs> idea of like, just the money, uh, the, yeah, just, like it's pretty full fat for a, I mean, not full fat, but it's way more impressive than you think it might be. But, uh, you know, never played it, don't know anything about it, excited to, to sort of leap in. Ten years ago, I played it on the iPad. Oh, oh my Jesus. God. <laughs> oh my God, I had no idea that you knew about this. Oh. That's good, that's good. I did indeed, and today, I cannot. No. So that's what we will say just before... We, we round things off here. So the only way to play Deus Ex The Fall in 2023 is on PC. You cannot, at least legally, I suppose yeah, I would legally, say. If you've got shenanigans. <laughs> play it on an Android or iOS device because it's not on the Google Play Store. It's not on the App Store. So if you want to play along with us at home, um, then get it on steam uh it's it's yeah it's what we're going to be talking about because it, it is the only way to play deus ex the fall today in 2023 but all of that is going to be discussed and the kind of the history of it and you know kind of taking deus ex to a mobile platform we are going to discuss all of that on the next edition of stealth boom boom but right now we need to bring things down a little bit kind of cool everything as we <laughs> we round off this episode of Stealth Boom Boom after all of the excitement of Dark um, so dear listener thank you very much for listening of course you can subscribe to our lovely little podcast via all of your podcatching apps Spotify Apple Podcasts Google Podcasts Amazon Pocket Casts etc etc just search for Stealth Boom Boom and you will find us there and also and this does help please do rate and review us on your podcast platform of choice as well. If it has a star system, give us five. Thank you very much. Uh, You can also follow Stealth Boom Boom on social media. We are at Stealth Boom Boom. And you can follow all of us as well. I am at Colum underscore Ahern. Adam is at Adam Zokes. Josh is at Joshy Wise. But now it is time, now it is time for my least favourite part of the show. This is the part of the show where we must bid the listener adieu. So say goodbye, Josh Wise. Goodbye. Say goodbye, Adam Carl. Goodbye. Say goodbye, people in the Titty Twister. Yeah, baby. And say goodbye, <laughs> Colm Ahern, Sloan, Guffall. <laughs> <laughs>